one psychologist, 20 plus years of experience, and thousands of patients. I'm Dr. Jennifer Pavlik Bellingrod, and you're listening to the Psych with a Mic podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome back. Today, we're going to dispute some of the lies that are perpetrated about mental health, the myths about mental health treatment that perpetuate stereotypes and can keep people from getting the help they need to feel better and to, frankly, be better humans. Just a quick reminder that the material in this podcast is for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for evaluation or treatment by a licensed professional. Information contained in this podcast should not be used to diagnose or treat a mental health issue without consulting a qualified provider. Okay, without further ado, people often have significant concerns regarding seeking mental health treatment. I get that. It's a big deal to decide that you want to dig into your issues and find a better way to live your life, and it can be really scary. Sadly, though, there are people who avoid getting the treatment they really need because they have misguided notions about what mental health treatment is, how it works, what the goals are, etc. Some are also worried about what others might think, with ramifications for their relationships, career, and so on. Still others perpetuate these myths in their own minds because it's a way to avoid doing therapy and digging into themselves, honestly. They're afraid of what they might find out about themselves. Quite frankly, such concerns are not surprising. Even in 2020, there is still significant stigma attached to mental health treatment. We've come a long way since mental health treatment ever began, but we still have a long way to go. So let's dig into various myths and the actual truths about mental health treatment. Myth number one, seeking mental health treatment means that I'm weak. Fact. This could not be further from the truth. The truth is, we all need help from time to time. Seeking treatment means that an individual is not afraid to acknowledge that he or she needs help. This self-awareness represents strength, not weakness. It takes courage to confront your issues, to look inside, to see how you are creating problems for yourself based on your past experiences and present thoughts. Do you call yourself weak when you go to the doctor because you have a physical illness? Would you avoid going to the doctor if you had a broken arm for fear of appearing weak? Of course not. Well, mental health is no different, y'all. The mind and body are connected, and behavioral medicine is very similar in many respects to physical medicine. Just like taking care of the body strengthens the immune system, taking care of the mind results in greater psychological strength and also actually plays a role in immune system functioning. For example, stress wears the body down, which results in increased susceptibility to everything from high blood pressure to the common cold to autoimmune issues to cancer. Think of mental health treatment like a course of antibiotics or physical training to prepare for a marathon. Therapy can provide people with a more objective viewpoint on their situation and additional insights into their personality and behavior. When an individual makes a decision to change his or her behavior and or way of thinking, this can actually impact various brain chemicals, which in turn can affect the way an individual thinks, feels, and behaves. Myth number two, 
My health insurance is through my employer, so I'm worried they will find out that I'm in treatment and it will affect my career. Fact. Um, no. (laughs) First and foremost, mental health providers are bound by strict standards of privacy and confidentiality, the violation of which could lead to losing one's license. Trust me when I tell you that we, as mental health providers, are not interested in losing our license or livelihood by telling your boss that you are anxious, depressed, or any other thing. There are certain cases in which we are allowed to violate confidentiality, such as in cases of suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, psychosis, or the abuse or neglect of a member of a vulnerable population, such as a child, an adult with special needs, or an elderly person. Even in those situations, though, we're not going to tell anyone in your workplace about you unless you're making a direct threat to someone in that workplace. What we will do is work with local resources to keep you safe, like getting you to an emergency room or mental health facility to keep you and those around you safe and get you the treatment you need. In cases where we work with other providers to ensure that you receive continuity of care, We, of course, are allowed to discuss diagnostic information, but only to the degree needed to get you the care that you need. Beyond that, mental health providers do have to submit a diagnosis to your insurance company in order to be paid for services rendered, but your insurance company is bound by strict privacy and confidentiality laws as well, and is therefore unable to disclose your diagnosis to your employer. Outside of the exceptions I just mentioned, mental health records are available to individuals and entities only with the patient's written consent. The truth is, not getting treatment for mental health issues is more likely to have a negative impact on your career than getting treatment ever will. Mental health issues tend to affect occupational, academic, and relationship functioning. Chances are, an individual with mental health problems is not performing at his or her best in one or more of these areas. In addition, mental health issues can affect an individual's career to the degree that he or she suffers from problems in thinking, impaired judgment, unreliability, and poor decision-making. Myth number three, going to therapy means that I am out of control. Fact. Actually, Getting treatment is a way of taking control. We live on a planet of nearly 8 billion people. We were not put on this earth alone, so what makes us think we have to deal with its ups and downs alone? Talking to a mental health professional is a great way to take control of your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and make changes to improve your quality of life. Since mood and behavior can be contagious, an improved quality of life has obvious benefits for those around you as well. Myth number four, I have a great family and supportive friends. I don't need to talk to a professional. Fact, friends and family members can be great sources of support and advice, and social support is one of the best mediators of stress and other psychological issues that we know of. But these individuals can be biased in our favor. In fact, we generally like for them to be. And this makes them less able to help us see different perspectives, different solutions, and so forth. Counseling is a way to get guidance from someone who is more objective, someone who can help us see additional viewpoints, as well as someone who has experience with treating the kinds of things we are struggling with. Myth number five, if you go to therapy, you're crazy. Fact, this myth is perpetrated due to ignorance or a lack of information about mental health. 
First of all, we should all eliminate the word crazy from our vocabulary when it comes to describing or referring to humans. It's so broadly defined that it's actually not very descriptive or illuminating and is most often used in a derogatory way. In actuality, mental health, like most things, runs on a continuum. While mental health treatment is appropriate for people who are clinically insane or out of touch with reality, such as those with psychotic symptoms like hallucinations and delusions, it is also appropriate for people with less intense concerns, such as those having relationship problems, anxious and depressive symptoms, stress, anger management issues, problems adjusting to a change or loss, substance use, or difficulties with their children. Furthermore, if you were completely crazy or not in your right mind, it is very unlikely that you would be able to recognize the need for treatment. People with paranoid schizophrenia, for example, don't realize that they are paranoid. They think they're completely grounded in reality, and everyone else is naive or ignorant to not believe the way they do. Mental health professionals realize that there is still, for many, significant stigma associated with seeking treatment. In reality, some people feel more comfortable talking to their physicians about their concerns, such as sadness, anxiety, constant worry, panic attacks, mood swings, etc. This is understandable since the mind and body are one. There are physical components and or ramifications to psychological issues and vice versa. Mental health professionals work with physicians on a daily basis to make referrals for people to get the treatment they need. In fact, there is an entire branch of psychology, known as health psychology, that has been built around this premise and involves having mental health professionals in primary care settings. Many physicians in this day and age are well-versed in treating symptoms of depression, ADHD, anxiety, and so on with medication, but they don't generally have the time or skill set to conduct therapy. So it's still in your best interest to talk with a mental health professional who is an expert in matters of the mind and can spend much more time with you than a physician typically can. Even when it comes to medications, I always say that a specialist is best. So I highly recommend a psychiatric provider if you're considering psychiatric medications. If you had a heart problem, you wouldn't see a foot doctor, right? Myth number six. If I go to therapy, I will lose my security clearance. This one I heard a lot more when I was on active duty, but I've still heard it in the civilian sector and been part of security clearance evaluations as a psychologist in private practice, so it's worth mentioning. Fact. Just walking through the door of a therapist's office does not result in an automatic suspension or revocation of one's security clearance. The primary concerns of security clearance evaluations are related to a person's judgment and reliability. If an evaluation yields information that may compromise an individual's decision to exercise good judgment, impair his or her ability to make good decisions, and or negatively affect his or her reliability, these things could impact the individual's ability to maintain national security. In cases such as these, of course, the individual's security clearance privileges can be affected. The bottom line is, there is no hard and fast rule regarding mental health issues and security clearances. If you're concerned about your clearance or other issues, this should be one of the first questions you ask when you meet with a mental health professional. Myth number seven. There's no way for me to know what's being said about me. Fact. This one's simple. 
Just like your medical record, you may obtain a copy of your mental health diagnosis and treatment record at any time. Myth number eight. I'm a smart person. Smart people should be able to solve their own problems. Fact. Seeking mental health treatment has nothing to do with your intelligence. In fact, there can be an inverse relationship between intelligence and emotional health. That is, some of the smartest people often have difficulty getting in touch with and expressing emotions, which can create social and interpersonal problems. Rather, therapy is a way to gain some insight into aspects of your personality, situation, and life that you may not have thought of due to being the person actually in the middle of it. Think of it this way. If your appendix ruptured and you needed surgery, wouldn't you consult a surgeon? Would you try to do it yourself? Even if you are a surgeon, this is not a good idea. In the same way, counseling helps you step outside of yourself. Think outside the box, if you will, and look in from a different perspective. The idea is to gain some objectivity, and often this involves taking a look at the big picture and not getting bogged down in the details, as we are often inclined to do when looking at our own lives and Myth number nine, therapists just ask you about your childhood and then blame everything on your parents. Fact, while it is important to obtain a good history to help ensure an accurate understanding of what makes an individual who he or she is in the present, treatment is about taking responsibility for your own actions regardless of your past. Therapy is designed to help you understand the ways in which you may be sabotaging yourself or setting yourself up for failure with your thought processes and actions. But, ultimately, therapists want you to take ownership and choose to change your life, rather than playing the victim and blaming everything on someone else. I mean, that's totally useless. Of course, we recognize that bad things happen to good people, but everything that happens to us provides a lesson of some sort, even if it is difficult to see at the time. Part of being in treatment involves learning from past hurts and past mistakes so as to do better in the future. I believe it's important to look into the past and see how we got to where we are, why we behave or respond in certain ways, why certain people or experiences trigger us. The goal is to understand and then make changes to be different, to be less thrown off or emotionally dysregulated by things that happen in life. Our past is important and we can choose to learn from it, but it does not have to dictate who we are. The poet laureate Maya Angelou says it beautifully. You did then what you knew how to do. Now that you know better, you can do better. Myth number 10. Therapy is woo-woo or voodoo magic and conflicts with my religion. Fact. Those of us in the mental health field have seen magical transformations in people, but therapy is about as far from magic as you can get. Quite the opposite, it's actually really hard work if you're doing it right. When you receive treatment, you are in control. You decide what benefits you. You make the decisions about whether and how to change your life. Therapy is not a supernatural thing. It's not a pagan endeavor. In fact, an important part of mental health treatment is an assessment of an individual's spirituality, whatever that may be. If spirituality is important to the individual, it can be incorporated into the treatment plan. Mental health professionals may also have relationships with pastors and other members of the clergy when assistance is needed regarding spiritual or religious issues.
Myth number 11. The therapist is going to read my mind if I go to therapy. Fact. Don't I wish. Actually, maybe not. That might be a little scary in some cases. Mental health providers are not in the business of reading minds. If that were the case, we would all be rich and famous. We are not psychics, nor do we have magical powers. So if that's not what mental health treatment is, then what is it? Well, the first few appointments with a mental health professional are part of an ongoing evaluation process. This evaluation includes an interview and may involve psychological testing. Both of these components are designed to obtain more information about an individual's history, personality style, and current issues or symptoms. Once the initial evaluation is complete, a treatment plan will be developed between the patient and the professional. The treatment plan takes information from the evaluation process and uses it to establish goals for treatment. The treatment plan is created with patient and therapist input and may or may not include referrals to various entities, such as a substance abuse treatment program, an inpatient psychiatric facility that can provide specialized treatment on a daily basis, an evaluation for medication to help treat self-destructive habits, depressive or anxious symptoms, or problems with cognitive and behavioral functioning, to name a few. Treatment plans help providers ensure that they are working toward useful goals for the patient. With reviews and updates, treatment plans also help ensure that therapy is a dynamic process that changes with the patient's needs. As an example, take a person who has generalized anxiety disorder, a condition characterized by constant, chronic worry about a number of things or aspects of his or her life. The person finds the worry difficult to control and may have problems sleeping, eating, concentrating, finishing tasks, remembering things, and or relating to other people. The treatment plan for this individual will involve an exploration of the person's history and possible contributors to their anxiety. It will also likely involve the development of coping skills to manage worry. These may include principles such as thought-stopping, relaxation, hypnosis, distraction, development of organizational skills, and increased awareness of what is in the individual's control and what is not. The treatment plan may also include a referral for a medical evaluation to check the status of various vitamins, minerals, hormones, and other things found in the body that may be contributing to a person's difficulties. Furthermore, There may be the recommendation of a medication evaluation and regimen designed to correct a possible chemical imbalance in the brain that is partly responsible for the excessive worry. Therapists don't generally prescribe medication, so that recommendation would involve a referral to a psychiatrist or other prescriber. Myth number 12. If I go to therapy, the therapist might judge me or think I'm awful or not want to work with me if she really knows my deepest, darkest thoughts and secrets. Fact. First of all, it's not a therapist's job to judge. That's why people seek them, for that objective viewpoint we discussed earlier. Plus, only God can judge. In terms of your skeletons or secrets, you wouldn't believe all the things therapists have heard. It's unlikely you'll scare or overwhelm them such that they refuse to work with you, unless the issues you're presenting are beyond their specific scope of practice. In that case, they would simply make a referral. Plus, you don't have to bear your soul in the first session. 
You meet a few times, build rapport, and then decide if the therapist is someone you can trust and want to work with. Myth number 13. If I go to a mental health provider, they're just going to give me some pill to take. Fact. For the typical patient, a course of therapy is recommended first. In actuality, medication is not right for everyone. If, after the initial assessment or evaluation phase, your provider thinks that medication may be useful to help manage your symptoms, they may talk to you about a referral to a specialist for a medication evaluation. If you agree, you will schedule an appointment with a prescriber to obtain additional information about treatment options involving medication. Meeting with one of these specialists does not mean automatically that you will be started on medication. Rather, if the specialist believes that medication is appropriate for you, they will discuss the available medication options and the risks and benefits of the various medications with you. Should you decide to give medication a try, it will likely be recommended that you become or remain involved in some form of counseling or talk therapy as well. Be aware that any form of therapy, medication or otherwise, will only work if you want it to work. The ultimate decision is yours and should be a well-informed one. One exception to this rule is severe cases where an individual is not in control of him or herself. In these cases, the first step is usually to place the individual in an inpatient psychiatric facility for his or her own safety and the safety of those around the individual. In a facility of this sort, the individual can be closely monitored and have access to care at any time of the day or night. Myth number 14. If I start taking medication, I'll have to take it for the rest of my life. Fact. People may take medication on a short-term or long-term basis. Short-term use of medication may be appropriate if a person is experiencing significant difficulty sleeping, overwhelming depressive symptoms related to the loss of a loved one or other situational event, intense anxiety or panic over an upcoming event or transition, and so forth. Alternatively, some people take psychiatric medications, known as psychotropics, all of their lives. They realize that they feel and function better with the medication than without it, and after swallowing their pride and obtaining information about any long-term effects, make an informed decision to continue on the medication. For example, Research has shown that many mental health conditions run in families. Someone with a significant family history of depression may very likely be predisposed to develop depression, him or herself. A stressful event or life-changing situation can trigger a depressive episode in this person more quickly than it would in someone without that family history. If the individual experiences recurrent depressive symptoms, there may very well be a chemical imbalance in the brain that needs to be corrected. That is, the nerve cells or neurons in the brain are misfiring in some way, much the same way that the pistons in a car engine can misfire. When this occurs in the brain, there is generally nothing that the person did wrong as much as it is just part of how the person's brain was formed. Medication therapy and talk therapy together are often the best, most effective treatment combination for mental health issues or psychological problems. In regard to medication, many people make the mistake of discontinuing a medication because they are feeling better. 
They assume that they no longer need the medication because they feel good at that moment. While it may be true that they are better and no longer need the medication, it is more often true that the medication is in large part responsible for the fact that they do feel better. Before changing or discontinuing any medication, you should always consult with a healthcare provider. Some medications, if stopped suddenly, can cause withdrawal syndromes characterized by significant physical and or psychological problems. Myth number 15. No one can understand what I'm going through. Fact. No one is the only person who has ever gone through an experience. Individual reactions to the same event or experience can vary widely, but the basic human emotions are the same across individuals and cultures. An individual's own experience of happiness, sadness, anger, or fear, and the thoughts and behaviors that result from this experience are what are unique to that person. To understand the process and usefulness of therapy, an important distinction between sympathy and empathy must be made. Sympathy is what you feel when you have been there yourself. Empathy is what you feel when you care and try to understand what it is like to be there when you have not. You do not have to personally experience the same thing as another individual to understand what it might be like. No one has been through everything, but working with an empathic, objective person with the same basic human emotions is very powerful and can result in tremendous changes in feelings, thoughts, and behavior. Last but not least, myth number 16. Therapists just want your money, so they try to keep you in therapy forever. I'm sorry, I can't say that without laughing. Fact, nothing could be further from the truth. The moment someone comes to me for an intake appointment, I'm already planning their discharge from therapy. The goal is to explore your issues, change maladaptive patterns, and get on with your dang life. Some people have long-standing histories of trauma that have significantly influenced their thinking and functioning in a number of areas and may need more extensive treatment. This could take years. Most people, however, undergo several sessions and are able to terminate treatment once they understand their thinking and behavior and develop good coping skills to handle those things. Still others use a medical model when it comes to therapy. That is, they come in for their initial work taper off treatment, terminate, and then return briefly if something else happens, they need a booster, or old patterns reemerge. Kind of like you only go to the physician when you have an issue. Okay, so those are just some of the more common myths I've heard over the years. If you guys have other ideas in your head about mental health treatment or things that you've heard about it that you aren't sure are true, I'd love it if you'd send those to me via Facebook Messenger or by emailing me through my website. Thank you all so much for listening today, and I hope this has helped you overcome any distorted notions you have about therapy and medication. Until next time, I wish you peace, blessings, and fantastic mental health. Take good care and drink more water.